This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Kate, who became a parent via surrogacy earlier this year. You may like to listen to her surrogate story at episode 51 when I spoke to Michelle. Now it's time to hear from Kate's perspective about how she proceeded through the surrogacy process, how her relationship is going with Michelle, and her experience of pregnancy and childbirth through surrogacy. I'm going to hand over now to Kate. My name is Kate. I was born with MRKH, which means that I was born without a uterus, but I still have my ovaries. Um, That has therefore led me to surrogacy and the incredible journey to have now my son, Jack, who was born in March of this year. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So tell me, you're in WA. When you first started looking at surrogacy, did you think that doing it within Australia was an option? To be, my journey was really interesting because when I was diagnosed with MRKH at 16, the gynecologist literally sat me down and said, surrogacy is illegal. Um, so your only option for parenting is adoption and fostering, which at the time it was. WA's laws only changed in 2008 um, for surrogacy to be legalised. So, yeah, I always thought international was the way I would have to go um, or, again, adoption and fostering. It wasn't until I actually met my hus- my now husband and thought, oh, gosh, I could actually have a family. <laughs> um, and then did some research and found that surrogacy was legal in WA. But again, still, I thought I've never heard of any surrogates in Western Australia or even Australia, really. Um, and I randomly, by Googling, found the Families Through Surrogacy um, website and their seminars. And that's really how my husband and I started to explore the world of surrogacy in WA. And then through those Um, seminars we then found the Facebook group of WA and it wasn't until our first catch-up where we met um, a team of a surrogate and IPs that we realized oh my gosh surrogates really do exist and this could actually be a reality but I there's only one in this whole group in WA what really are our chances but we just hung out there in the groups and really built up some strong friendships and a real community with lots of people within um, the surrogacy community. So, Um, yeah. So actually meeting your surrogate, who's Michelle, how Mm. did that actually come about? Because I understand you met at one of these seminars. Yeah, so I'd seen um, Michelle post on the Australian forum, Facebook forum and the WA forum, the big womb for rent sign, but we officially met at one of the seminars And because I knew she posted and put herself out there, she was going to be getting bombarded with IP requests and hearing some incredibly sad stories. And I really feel it's it's a big emotional kind of toll to read a lot of people's stories in that area. Um, And, yeah, but we, we officially met at a seminar or we met at a seminar and then we just grew a friendship. And my husband and I were really just talking to Michelle because, I was friends with other surrogates as well and I kind of had heard what she might have been going through. So it was more about saying, how are you going and do you need any help and it must be really hard. And, yeah, my husband are in that situation, but we're not quite ready to pair up with anyone yet. We're still, you know, 
working on our building our house and getting ready and saving enough money and things like that. It was really just about growing that friendship and that sense of community um, within. But yeah, our friendship just blossomed and Michelle offered to be our surrogate and it was, yeah, an incredible experience. I still remember sitting on the couch and receiving that message from Michelle that said, would you consider me being your surrogate? And I just went completely silent and just started crying. And my husband looked at me and said, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what is going on? And I said, Michelle, one of it's to be our surrogate. And he was like, what, really? And yeah, he started tearing up. It was just, a, yeah, an amazing time. That's amazing. Now, given that you weren't really looking to her to be your surrogate, was it a complete shock when she offered? Yeah, it was a really big shock. Um, so in terms of WA's process, I know that you have to go through the Reproductive Treatment Council. Were you able to mm -hmm. create embryos before you got to the council or did it have to happen afterwards? No. So with WA's laws, because surrogacy was our only ever option um, to have genetic children, it was um, we had to have a surrogate, surrogacy agreement in place. So we had to have found a surrogate, have all of the RTC approvals that go through the counselling, psychs, lawyers. Um, we had to go all through that before we could even create embryos. And I remember my first conversation with Michelle at that seminar was talking about how Chris and I, we would be looking for a surrogate to really risk potentially a year of her life and not us actually not making embryos. And then she's, you know, I don't like to use the word, but wasted a year of her life when she could have helped a family who already had embryos in place and were ready to go. It was a really big risk. And I don't think many people know that about Michelle, but she really, Michelle and Trent, but they really put their lives on hold for something that might not have ever, we might not have even got to the egg collection stage. I might not have even had any eggs. We didn't even know. Really and that was a big risk for both of you as well in terms of not being able to create embryos and then wondering whether it was even going to work, whether it was an, whether it was an option or whether you might have had to use an egg donor in the end. You've put all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, potentially with having nothing at the end. Yeah, that's right. And I think Chris and I were always just thinking, we're just going to give it a go and see. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. We've done our, we've done our all and we will just try go on to the next phase that's yeah. right so um how long did you take to get to know michelle and her family before uh, you went ahead with the process um, well before when we between when we met michelle and then she offered it was a few months already um that we'd been building a friendship and and messaging back and forth just you know asking how we're going and then um and once she offered we then met trent michelle's husband and their children and then it probably was another month until we went to the doctors and, and then started really the official process. But for us, from meeting Michelle and then finally getting the RTC approval, it was over a year or about a year. And do you which, think that's worthwhile in terms of how long it took and taking that time to get to know each other? I definitely think so. My, yeah, I think it's really strengthened our relationship and... Yeah, 100% it strengthened our relationship, um, taking that time. My husband and I went in any big rush and we didn't want Michelle and Trent to feel pressured as well. So it was all just, yeah, cool, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll see how it all happens and go with the flow and work with Trent's schedule as well, being FIFO um, adds another element. But yeah, it yeah. was 
it was incredibly worthwhile taking that time. Yeah. So I know from Michelle uh, that she had planned a home birth. What was that like for intended parents who have not experienced childbirth yourselves to hear that your surrogate had some really specific ideas about how she wanted to birth? Was that a bit scary? Um, not really for me. I don't know how in my life somebody that knew she would never get pregnant and and, and birth a child, but I, I knew a little bits about home birth already, that it was an option. Um, I knew family and friends who'd had births that were really quite traumatic and I think a lot of that came down to their own fears and and stress about what it should have been or could have been and, and things like that. So for me, I think especially, it was all about just making sure Michelle was okay and comfortable and calm and, you know, in the, in the right headspace. And if that was a home birth, then that's great. As long as the doctors said it would be okay, um, then that's okay. Our biggest concern was Michelle's health over anything, really. Um, yeah, so no, for me, it wasn't a concern. I can understand how some people would be, but I was always really mindful of not taking my fears into her birthing space. Um, that was really, yeah, mindful of me. Yeah. So tell me, uh, how many embryo transfers did you need to have to achieve a pregnancy? We had two egg collections and three embryo transfers. What was that so like was, for you? The egg collections were pretty hard, but I don't know. I think <laughs> I was joking with a friend one day because I am not having a uterus. I've never had my period and I was complaining about IVF and the injections. Okay. Yeah. They, they're pretty hard and you feel like a, um, a needle cushion at the end of it, but it was the bloating and the, pain and the discomfort for me that just really took me for six and I was working full time and I was going to work with my pants undone under long sleeve tops because my pants couldn't be done up and I was complaining to another friend who had had gone through IVF and I said is this getting a period is like because this is really freaking awful like I don't know how women do this and she just looked at me and said yeah it kind of is like the way I went, oh god <laughs> I don't know how we would do it. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> that was really fun. <laughs> yeah, the silver lining. Um, but I also remember our second egg collection. It was hard with my, it was hard to find an ultrasound technician that could get good Im images of my ovaries and how many eggs we had. And so the second egg collection, um, it looked like we weren't going to get any eggs or there just wasn't any. Yeah, and it wasn't until I went to a different ultrasound technician that was a bit more experienced and they had better equipment. They were able to actually see, I think there were six or seven in there um, and all growing really well or, or ready to come out, really. And I just burst into tears when I saw those images on the screen because I, I didn't realise how pent up or how fearful I had been about, you know, going through all of this and not getting any eggs. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, I still remember that. It, that was my IVF experience. <laughs> so Michelle fell pregnant on the third transfer. What was the pregnancy like for you and Chris in terms of not having a pregnancy in your household but supporting somebody else in their pregnancy? Yeah, I think Chris and I obviously had the easier job of the four of us. Um, but, yeah, it was... It was a bit surreal, I think. We could just do what we could do to get ready for the baby and 
um, yeah, I think it was just really surreal. I can't really explain it. Um, it was like we would get things ready for the house, like nappies and cots and prams and get everything ready. Um, and obviously see Michelle and see her growing bump as well. She was really great at sending us photos all the time of her growing bump. And, um, and then seeing as well, I still remember the first video Michelle sent and we could see the baby moving around in her belly. And yeah, it was just amazing. Um, and I don't know whether it was because I've never had any close friends who've been pregnant. So I've never touched another pregnant belly or, or anything like that. But for me, I felt really awkward touching Michelle's belly with the baby in it. I don't know why. It just really threw me off. And I don't, I don't think it was because it was my child in there or anything. I think it was just because pregnancy just maybe freaks me out a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I've come to accept that it's never going to happen for me. And then the thought of, another being growing inside someone else. It's obviously beautiful and amazing, but it also kind of freaks me out a little bit, I think. So, Did you yeah, feel like was... you could bond with the baby like via Michelle and her and the photograph she was sending you? Yeah, definitely. But I think I also knew that once the baby, once he came out, that was really going to be my big our bonding time then. And I, I didn't really have any bonding fears. And I think a lot of that comes to my mum was adopted. So I know how, yeah, how you don't necessarily have to have a blood connection. And we're lucky enough that we are biologically related to our son, but that you don't have to have that. You don't have to be pregnant to feel bonded or you don't have to have a complete biological connection to get the bonding. I'd already experienced that and, and knew that. Um, so I, I wasn't really fearful of that at all, which was good. Now, I, we know from Michelle's podcast that uh, the birth went okay, but that the post-birth was difficult. Can you take us through that in terms of your experience of what was happening in the birth and afterwards? Yeah, so the birth was really obviously eye-opening for Chris and I, and, and Michelle was just incredibly strong and powerful through it all. I was just sitting Michelle gave birth on the floor so I was sitting on the floor and I was just in awe of everything Michelle was doing and I can yeah I can I know what my face would have been like and just mouth open just eyes wide just watching this incredible woman um go through this pain to to birth this child for us and I I remember in the last stages of of the birth and Michelle saying, I can't do this anymore. And I remember just this overwhelming sense of, and this isn't going to sound very good, but shame because I've made someone do this for me. Like I felt this overwhelming shame of, um, yeah, just complete upset that, oh my gosh, how selfish am I that I've made another woman go through this and obviously know it's her choice and she knew exactly what she was getting in for. But yeah, it just blew me. I wasn't expecting that overwhelming sense of selfishness that came along with it. Um, and then the birth of Jack and, and what still throws me today is just, you know, Jack came out of Michelle and then it was like a switch had been, switched for Michelle and she just went into this happy-go-lucky like oh my god it's a baby completely different to her birthing you know screams and grunts and everything like that um and so yeah she 
you know, I could see Jack, but I was just in complete shock at Michelle's complete turnaround in personality. It was full on. Um, and yeah. And so she handed Jack to us and it was just an incredible experience. Um, I know there's video of it and, and lots of photos and things as well that have been shared, but yeah, it was an amazing experience. And then Jack was given to me for some skin on skin contact and I was sitting in a chair and the midwife's there with Michelle and they're trying to get the placenta out and it's not working. And then it just went from, you know, not good to really bad. And the room was packed with people, nurses and doctors working on Michelle and um, Michelle's husband, Tran and my husband were kicked out of the room. So, um, yeah, it must have been incredibly hard for them. I think I was kind of lucky in that I could see the doctors and nurses working and I could see Michelle and knew that she was awake and she was talking. And But the nurses were nurses and doctors were calling code blues and code reds and, you know, lots of really scary things. And I know now that Trent and Chris could hear all of that and to hear that and not see that Michelle was you know, still awake and talking would have been so scary. And it was, it was really scary for me as well, being in that room and seeing all of that happen and a lot of blood and yeah, it was really scary. Um, so yeah, for those who, who don't know, Michelle's placenta wouldn't detach and they ended up by having to take her into theater and having it removed, um, surgically. And then, um, Michelle was in ICU for three days post-birth. Um, yeah, it was really scary. Um, again, that just overwhelming sense of selfishness, that fear of, oh, my gosh, what if something happens? I don't know how I would ever forgive myself if something happened to her and how I could really face her husband and their children. And Yeah, it's... It's, it was a really, really scary and traumatic time for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, I'm all teary now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and look, yeah. I think your reaction is that to show that we're all human. I mean, it would be weird if you didn't respond like that. You're human just as, as much as anyone else in the room. And you've got this amazing connection and surrogacy is complex. And one of those complexities is the risks that surrogates take and everyone else in the team has to take in having her carry a baby for somebody else. Yeah. And yet we yeah. know from Michelle's podcast that when I asked her this question, would she do it again? She said, yes, of course, in a heartbeat. She, notwithstanding that she knows what ended up happening, the, the, the risks that she took and the postpartum hemorrhage that she would still do it again. So yeah. <laughs> I guess it, it's complex. It really is, you know, and yeah, and Chris and I have thought about it afterwards as well. And even before Trent had said he's not comfortable, which is completely understandable for Michelle to go through it again. Um, but Chris and I are like, would we want to go through that again? Would we want Michelle to risk her life like that? And would we want another surrogate to, or yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a minefield, I think, if you go into that area. But I also think it's important to remember that every surrogate goes to it with a choice. You know, they have a choice in this. And as long as there are any pregnant woman's aware of the risks and, um, and, and what could happen and all we can do is make sure that 
we've got all of the medical support or support around that we'll be okay if something does. Yeah. So um, whilst Michelle was in ICU, what was happening for you and Chris and Jack? Were you doing just all the regular parenting things? Yeah. So we were lucky enough. The hospital had never had a surrogate. Um, a surrogate kind of family in before so it was all a very big shock to them as well I think um, it was lucky enough that we had gone to that hospital during in the morning early morning because Michelle had had some bleed um, so we were able to see the birthing suite and things like that and we were able to see one of the head nurses on the ward so it kind of almost destiny or fate wise. So it wasn't a massive shock to the hospital that we came in. It just was a lot earlier than they were expecting. So that they didn't quite have everything sorted in, in their own worlds. Um, but yeah, for Chris and Jack and I, it was staying in the hospital and doing all of the normal baby things. And um, midwives would obviously come in all the time and they would thankfully give us updates on Michelle. At the same time, those updates were contradictory. So I'd have one midwife come in and say, she's doing really well and she's such a fighter and, you know, women that give birth all the time and these things happen and they get over it really quickly. <laughs> and then the other, you know, the next midwife comes in and you're like, no, Michelle is really seriously ill. She's not okay. And it was just, it was a constant up and down of emotions. and. Um, Early the next morning, Jack was born at 1am and I think about 9am or, or 10 or even maybe 11 or something. A midwife had come in and, and had just gone, no, Michelle is really ill. She's still got the breathing tubes and, and everything in. And I hadn't even realised that Michelle had had a breathing tube or, or anything like that. And that just really threw me and made me really, really upset. Um, and then it was 10 minutes later and I get a text message from Michelle saying, how are you going? <laughs> what is going on in this place? <laughs> um, yeah, so once, and then from then on, Michelle and I were just testing, texting and messaging and, you know, I wanted to go down and visit her and, um, but we were worried about Jack being in ICU with, with sick people and things. So, but I managed to go down there just myself, I think the next day and see her and talk to Michelle in person and see what, yeah, see how she was and, um, yeah, so it was really surreal. But apart from worrying about Michelle, it was just feeding and nappy changing a baby and not getting much sleep and being very, very thankful for midwives and being at a hospital. So I got fed and didn't have to worry about <laughs> those things. They were the good old days of parenting. Yeah. <laughs> so how old is Jack now? Jack is four months next week. And what have the last four months been like as a, as a mum and dad? Yeah, good. They've been, I mean, there's some obviously incredibly, there's some incredible highs, but there's also some incredible lows, I think, as every parent <laughs> goes through. You know, the baby won't stop crying or he only just wake up an hour ago, why is he awake again? And, you know, um, but yeah, no, it's been really surreal and amazing to see his bonding with not only us, but with our extended family, all of the aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and great grandparents. And yeah, it's been really beautiful to watch and his personality is shining through and yeah, he's all smiling and giggly now. So that's a beautiful stage and he's trying to talk and 
yeah, it's really great. Do you have any advice for intended parents who are looking at surrogacy options here or overseas? Um, I think, I think the best advice I can give is know what you can control and what you can't. And to some extent, let go. Um, I remember one of the first surrogacy seminars I came to, it was um, some people who run an agency in the US and they said, IPs that go through surrogacy are usually very type A personalities and they're very organised, they're project managers, they do things to the nth degree. And, you know, it's funny that they said that because I do sometimes manage projects. So it was quite <laughs> very poignant for me. <laughs> um, but it's really important to let go and, um, and it's all about trust. You know, the way I, the reason I could sleep at night and that I wasn't worried about really anything to do with the pregnancy is that I had complete trust in Michelle. I knew my son was in incredibly good hands that if, you know, if anything happened, she would let us know straight away and we would be there to support her. But, um, yeah, just, yeah, let go a bit, I think is what I would tell some IPs and, and have, take time in building trust. Yeah. I think as well, what was good about our journey is that we knew that this surrogacy journey wasn't our whole life at the time. We had other things going on in, in our families as well. Um, and I think it's important to remember that. You know, if somebody doesn't message back straight away, it's not because they don't want to talk to you or something's going on. It could be that something else is just going on in their lives at that time and, and they need to work through that as well. You know, during this two years, I've had my stepfather go through um, cancer and pass away, my brother go through some mental health issues, my, great, my grandmother in hospital. There's been a lot that's happened um, as well as going through this journey. And if it wasn't for Michelle and Trent's understanding in that as well, it would have been really hard. As, as much as I do put Michelle and Trent first and, and do as much as I can, there, there were certainly days where I just, I couldn't talk or I had, you know, other things to deal with and, and worry about. Um, and obviously if there was something serious, I'd be there straight away. But I think it's important for both sides to understand that, you know, it isn't the be-all and end-all of their life at this point in time. Um, yeah, that's the advice I'd give. I think that's great because I think we all know that surrogacy can be really all-consuming and it's good to remember for everyone that actually life goes on regardless and has to go on outside of just surrogacy. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And um, Yeah, and I was very aware of that throughout our whole journey as well. Um, but for me as well, when I was three years old, my mother um, um, had a stillborn. He died from cord asphyxiation. And so all throughout my life, like since I was three, I've known that babies could die during childbirth and that it's a really sad thing. And I have a baby brother in heaven and that's just what it is. And, and I still remember a conversation with my mother where we were talking about, I think, friends of family giving birth or something and just the fear around births and, and pregnancy. And she was like, you know, you could go through the whole nine months and the baby pass away during birth and that's just what happens. Like, it, it's life. And, and so I, I never told Michelle that story because I didn't want any fear of anything like that through the birth. 
Um, and it was something as well that I didn't want to take him to the room to have anything like that. So I was really conscious of, of not putting any kind of fear in that. But I, for me, it was just a realism that life, that happens in life sometimes. We could actually go through this whole journey and something happen with Jack either during the birth or post-birth or, or something like that. And that's just life. And so it's important to really have that connection with Michelle and Tran and that sense of um, togetherness and, and a team so that we can support each other through all of it, whatever comes up. Um, yeah. That was important to me. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.